0: Welcome to the Service Management Leadership Podcast with Jeffrey Tiefertiller.
1: Welcome to another Service Management Leadership Podcast. I have a great guest for you, Mark Katsouris. I With the name like Tiller. hopefully I did that all right. Matt, uh, Mark, how are you today? I'm great. How are you, Jeffrey? Oh, I'm awesome. I'm always awesome when it's cool weather, get a little energy, that's I like right. summertime too, but cool weather. I'm, I'm usually pretty uh, fired up, awesome. and so uh, it it helps. My cool weather in the south is different than yours, but you know we it's all perspectives. So welcome to the podcast. And Thank you. Thanks for having me. This one question I ask almost every guest, especially their first time, and it's how did you get into the world of service management? We don't go to school. We didn't, as I said in a podcast with. Uh, Mitch Potts. We don't just lay in bed going, you know, I really want to be a service management person one day. You know, <laughs> I I really desire to be you don't want to be an ass
0: either want to be an
1: astronaut or a service manager. I'm not sure which, but it's one of those two things, right? <laughs> exactly. we are play for the Yankees, right? <laughs> That's right. And so, you know, I just you know, and the conversation with, with Mitch Pouts went well, and I just I thought of that and as I was listening to it, it's like, you know nobody says, I want to get yelled at for for change management being too complex, or (laughs) incidents not being resolved quickly enough, or, you know, how did you get into this? Yeah, I mean, well, I think, first of all, like most
0: of us, I guess, at least semi by accident, but I'll I'll give you sort of this this short history, Uh, and first, before I do that, let me just say thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. I feel honored. I've, I've listened to a lot of your podcasts, some really awesome guests, so I I feel completely privileged to be among them, honestly, and, uh, and uh, certainly very humbled by that, so thank you. And, and I, I should also say that, you know, I'm, I'm uh, uh, just to give you some background, so I am the Director of IT Support Services at Duquesne University. I, I basically support all of the, uh, all the front-facing services that our organization provides, our IT organization, Central IT provides to the university. And um, and and that includes, by the way, managing our service management office. So, so I'm definitely sort of right there in the in the in the, uh, in the trenches with respect to service management. Uh, and, and I should be clear that, you know, these are my opinions. They aren't necessarily reflective of the institution. They, a lot of them probably are, but not all of them, certainly. And so these are my own opinions. But um, but yes, as far as my start in service management, I mean, I'll tell you the story. I was five years old. I had a a friend who had one of those little boxes of Crayola crayons, like the little Mm 12-pack. I told him, dude, I can upgrade you. I can get you that 64-color pack, you know? So he's like, really? I was like, yeah. So I I took his his little, you know, 12-pack and I told him, I'll I'll get you the 64-pack later on that day. Well, unbeknownst to me, he had this huge, like, drawing competition in the neighborhood that day. And I had taken his crayons. He had no crayons. He couldn't participate in the competition. Really got mad at me. And I knew right then and there, someday I'm going to be a change manager. <laughs> I'm kidding, of course. That's a, My father taught me never let the truth get in the way of a good story. But uh, I hear you. No, I mean honestly, I just kind of. I I, I guess I would say I've always been like an optimi- optimization guy. Like I've just always. It's why I got into computer science. It's it's why I love IT you know, because obviously IT can optimize a lot of things, a lot of activities that we do, and clearly it has um, over the last several decades. But um, what, what I came to learn being in the trenches of IT, and, and I mean, I've been in all the trenches from, you know, from layer one to layer seven to layer eight, you know, customer, I've been network engineer, I've been, you know, uh, programmer, pretty much up and down the stack, uh, DBA, et cetera. And what I, what I came to learn is that while IT can optimize, Things for people, it can optimize, you know, the way we go about doing our day-to-day activities in business or whatever, that the delivery of IT also can be optimized. Like there's a big opportunity for us and has been a big opportunity for us for, like I said, really for decades to optimize the delivery of IT, the support of IT, the, the sustainability of IT, the evolution of IT, like that all warrants optimized processes as well. And so that's, that, that light bulb sort of went off in my head and I began to sort of get really into the, that side of of, of, the, of the IT house of just uh, helping optimize processes. I also love people. I love working with people, I love serving people, and you know it, that, that part of me also sort of seemed uh, seemed to have a calling towards IT service management, that you can like optimize the experience for our actual customers and they can actually, you know, feel, uh, you know, um, well served in terms of the way we deliver services and the way we help them understand services and all those kinds of things, you know, from, from knowledge and and helping their sort of their level of competence to how fast we respond to incidents, how, how clear we make service requests to people, right? Like we've all, we're all customers of of,
1: of lots of
0: things. So we all know the difference between a good experience and a bad experience. I, you know, I've always wanted to be a part of like I said, anything that optimizes um, towards creating good experiences for people. So that's in a nutshell sort of my path. The crayon thing was just a joke. Yeah. So. Oh,
1: I've been there though. <laughs> As somebody that has in a past life been a change manager, you see all types of things that come through. And i the hardest part was being a director in a large, large firm and have change management over you, you know, underneath you and and people not having test plans. And you know, I'm like, yeah. I'm like you're about to break my heart like rollback
0: plans or or anything right like people i think they don't think about change right in the full breadth that the 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 potential impact and i mean good and bad that it can have if if if, if, and certainly bad if not done right just like you said in terms of just testing in terms of having having a simple rollback plan you know that once you've tipped over the dominoes and they're falling in the wrong direction do you have a means of stopping them and you know, it's all of those kinds of considerations, making sure they don't collide with it, you know, just doing changes in a way that they don't collide with each other. You don't want to do a network upgrade on the same day they're doing a big um, uh, cloud database upgrade, right? Because, well, guess what? We can't get to the cloud database. Well, that's because they're doing a network upgrade. Like, did, did we check the change calendar? You know, those kinds of things, right? But yeah. and all that, again, requires sort of rigor of process and, and, and tools you know, that uh, help us do those things
1: correctly. Especially, and you got me my brain going. You know, all the big outages of 2021 were change related. You know, Microsoft yeah. had two in March, yeah. And AWS know, the,
0: has been up and down, yeah. I mean, it's oh man, and that's and you know, that's part of the you know, part of the other problem is that you know, our services, um, never mind our service delivery, our services themselves, our technologies are getting more and more and more complex, right? I mean, we've moved towards you know, uh, virtualization and, and cloud and, and AI and, and, and machine learning and all, all the other things that have just, you know, interoperability and integration, all these things that uh, that just create these layers and layers of, of complexity and abstraction. And so when something breaks, it's not, it's not, it's, it's sort of like the modern day car, you, know, you used to be able to stand in, literally, I could stand in the, uh, In the in the hood of my '67 Impala and change the spark plugs with my feet on the ground, standing in the hood next to the engine, like it was that much. Now I can't even find the spark plugs. (laughs) You know, I mean, if you ever looked at the like, it's just and you have to have computer diagnostic tools. And so you know, I mean, that's of course a form of technology. But the bottom line is things have become so complex that that managing them responsibly is all the more important. I mean, that's really the the message.
1: And I'm with you there. You mentioned the complexities and optimizing and the innovation and just all that's going on. What are some of the current, and I say current, you could use that time however you want, current challenges for service management as we see it today and moving forward? Yeah, I mean, I think it's mostly those things that
0: the, the fact that the, the, the growing level of complexity of our technologies and our services means a growing level of complexity in the way that we deliver those services and the way we support them, in the way we respond to incidents, in the way we, you know, um, evaluate problems, by, right? By looking at, uh, at, at previous incidents and trying to gauge, well, where are we having repeat problems? And so where do we have to make systemic changes either to a technology or to a process or what have you? So I think, you know, that that complexity has just, um, basically translate into the way that we deliver and manage and sustain support services. So, um, you know, yeah. unfortunately for us, or fortunately, I don't know, I guess it depends on whether you're looking at this from a job security perspective or from a peace of mind perspective, but uh, you know, I, I can tell you that like this last week, right? With the, uh, if you're familiar with the, the log4j uh, yeah. vulnerability, uh, you know, not a lot of us IT people have gotten a lot of sleep in the last week. Uh, so um, it's definitely, you know, one of those things where, you know things are complex and we have to, we have to uh, figure out ways to be able to respond to them uh, in a way that doesn't kill us. <laughs> uh, that's,
1: that's a challenge. Yeah. Can I, I want to summarize something and, and make an analogy if I may? Sure. In IT service delivery, especially as you described it, it seems like we'll never be 100% successful, the target's always moving the constraints and the variables always changing it's almost feels like a microcosm of what we're going through with the pandemic and you know like we think we have it figured out and then something hits us upside the head and you know it's becoming comfortable with the certainty of uncertainty if i'm if i'm able to say it that way that's a great
0: context yeah
1: but i just when the way you were saying that, I was just thinking, okay, two years from now, we'll laugh at what today's problems were. Yeah, probably. I mean, that's and I think you you hit the nail on
0: the head with that context. It's sort of I, I heard someone say uh, a long time ago that the the only thing um, the only thing constant is change, right? Which yeah. is a little bit of a paradox, but it's truth. And so, and and the lesson to be taken from that, of course, is that we have to become resilient, agile, you know, there, we have to recognize there's fluidity, you know, in what we do and how we do it. And we just have to be able to roll with that fluidity as opposed to try to fight it or try to be staunch traditionalist and say, well, this is the way I did it 20 years ago. Gosh darn it, it worked then, it's going to work now. Like, no, that's not, <laughs> that's not applicable. Like, you have to evolve your methodologies of, of, of service management, of delivery of support, along with the way the technologies are evolving. And the good news is a lot of those evolving technologies can now enhance the way we do, right? Yeah. We talked about the complexity like AI, right? Well, now we've got AI enhanced chatbots that can help us serve customers faster, hopefully in a way that doesn't aggravate them, right? Like that's always a balance too, right? Like, I just want to talk to a human, but, but you know what? If, if they can talk to a more competent chatbot, nothing against my human colleagues, but then they become happy with that. Like if they're served faster at the end of the day, and they recognize that they're being served faster, they, the customer, will be happier, you know, but that, that's a very delicate, um, tightrope kind of walk uh, to make, you know, to make sure that we're, oh yeah, you know, the, the technology isn't something that, uh, uh, you know, real or perceived that we're hiding behind, you know, that, that it's, it's something we're leveraging to serve people better, but we have to be very careful about how we structure all of that, so.
1: Because one of my small business vendors, one of the vendors is a large software company. You all can probably guess which one it is. Their chat <laughs> chatbots. But only it's a loop, right? Can I have information regarding X? Yeah, they send looks me for a knowledge page.
0: article and then comes back and says, "Well, can can you give me a better word?" It looks for a knowledge article, comes back to, Can you give me a better word? Looks for a knowledge article. Right? Those are oh my god, are they are they aggravating? And 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 maybe they're programmed like after ten times through that loop, they finally say, "Well, let me connect you to a live operator." Well, so maybe it shouldn't be ten. Maybe it should be three or you know something. So yeah, that and that's all. Boy, that's all, that's a science in and of itself, right? It's just how contact centers, automation, you know, you know, laden or otherwise serve customers in a way that, like I said, strikes that balance between trying to optimize getting them to the answer they need without making them feel like, like, you know, they're being ignored or that, that nobody wants to actually talk with them or whatever. It's a really fine line. It, it really is.
1: Oh, yeah. And it brought me to the thought, the biggest lie I ever told is, Your call is valuable to us, right? (laughs) (laughs) Your call is important to us. We all. (laughs) I say a lot. Right. You know, um, other than, you know, honey, you look great in that dress, but that's a different story.
0: But, you know, a better way to say your call is important to us is to say, you know, thanks. You've reached our contact center um, to, to reach a human press, you know, to reach an operator, press zero. Right. Um, or if you're calling about this. So in other words, the way you do it is by action. So if you tell them that you're willing to talk to them, if that's how they want to proceed, that's the best way to say your call is important to us, not by explicitly saying your call is important to us. And even better, if you can say, you know, if, if you want to reach a human operator, please press zero. But we hope you'll give our new automation a chance because it will serve you very quickly. Like, you, And you've got to do those kinds of things, you know, especially when you introduce something new, right, that your customer base might like I said, might um, you know, uh, perceive as something that's just trying to you know, do more with less or, or what have you. So you, you've just got to try to be transparent with customers and, and try to encourage them to at least test the technology and see if uh, it actually works towards serving them faster and better.
1: Yeah, and I was I was just thinking through all of that, right? Because it's like when somebody says, uh, "I don't want to offend," they're about to offend when they right. say your call is important to us. They're really saying, "No, we want to push you to somebody that's not a human." And right. So, don't take this personally, but
0: yeah, I mean, those not, those never end well.
1: <laughs> no, and so we talk about service management, and since you're at a university, you know that Mitch really opened that up how it is at USC, but I I am a believer that every organization is unique, has different constraints, yes. different people, different leadership. So how is service management different at the universities you've been in? You've been in some big ones, and small ones, yeah. different there than let's say other industries, whether you want to talk about tools or stakeholders or processes or whatever? Yeah. No, I mean
0: it's a great question. Um, I mean, there's the comparing and contrasting of different universities. And then, of course, there's the comparing and contrasting of universities to other businesses, right? I mean, just in terms of, first of all, within universities, and I don't mean to make this sound like a commercial for Duquesne, uh, but I will just say that I've worked for some very, very large universities, you know, big R1 public institutions, you know, tens and tens and tens of thousands of students. uh, And and Duquesne is is a slightly smaller institution. It's an R2 institution really focused on teaching as opposed to research. But I would just say that at Duquesne, I think students, but also faculty and staff, don't feel as much like a number at Duquesne. I mean, we, because of our size, we can be a little more personable. We can rely a little more on relationships. Um, and we all know that, you know, the secret to service management is trying to shift people from sort of relationship-based, um, you know, uh, paradigms to more process-based. And there's a sweet spot in there somewhere, but I'd like to think at Duquesne, we have the opportunity because of our size to still kind of find that perfect balance where you know relationships are still very important to us you know having trusting relationships with customers but we know that again as complexity evolves as services evolve and they become more and more complex we have to move towards you know it, it, you know out of survival the ability to leverage uh, processes which are repeatable and, and you know can be consistent and all those kinds of things but but so but comparing universities to other businesses I really do believe that universities are truly unique because the degree of variability among our different constituencies is just insane. I mean, we have students, we have faculty, we have staff. That's about as three of different constituencies as you can imagine, right? Um, I mean, you know, we go from the very tech savvy to, to not so tech savvy. We go from, you know, um, not, just, not just the variability between those three, but we've got We've got parents we've got alum we've got you know we've got all these different kinds of, of constituencies that we have to serve right and then you could even take any one of those constituencies take students right you could break that now we've got undergrad students right very young of high school you know still you know sort of learning the ways of the world we've got grad students we've got adult ed and returning students we've got online students we've got on you know in in-person students i mean even just within any one of those constituencies, there are sub constituencies, sub constituencies with a really high degree of variability. So, you know, that's for us, that's one of our biggest challenges, us in higher ed, right? That we've got to figure out a way, you know, hopefully consistently, um, you know, and and again, optimally to serve all of those different constituencies with what they need and the, the level of knowledge One of those constituencies might need as a reference would probably be very different than some of the other constituencies that are still part of our overall customer base right like there's just a there's a difference in the way you talk to students maybe than the way you talk to you know staff members or to faculty members you know to researchers to, to grad students to whatever so We've got to, f- and then of course, they all have different services that are available to them, right? We don't, not every one of our services at the university is available to all of our constituencies. There are certain services that are only available to students, or only available to faculty, or only available to parents, or, or what have you. So it's just uh, an interesting, I mean, I love it. It's, 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 I love that challenge of, of, of having to like solve these problems with with you know what are often limited toolkits you know it's like that scene in Apollo thirteen where they need this this thing out in space and the the guy the guy figures out what they have on the on the you know on, you know on on their uh, module and uh, what the astronauts have access to and he puts it on a box and he throws it down on a table in front of a bunch of engineers and say it says we need one of these here's what we have to build this you've got 24 hours like right I I would love that game. You know, and, and in a way, that's the gig I have now. That's the gig we have as IT service professionals is we have to figure out how to deliver, you know, really amazing, really important technologies, things that are really important and vital to the business, especially in this day and age of competition and everything. And we've got to figure out how to deliver with the sort of the limited tool sets that are out there, you know, and they're limited only because things change so quickly. It's, it's you know, it's hard for them to even keep up, you know, even these massive, you know, global platforms that are out there. So,
1: oh yeah. I, I let me, let me push in and expand on one thing. Yeah. So I'm going to make a hypothesis. You tell me how wrong I am. So, <laughs> all right. Okay. Uh, so I think college campuses have, are the, the one type of organization or business that has the widest age range, the widest diversity in terms of uh, male, female, as well as countries and languages and you know, like what is native language? So then I, my brain goes to service management and I think, okay, we have to write knowledge articles that all of this breadth and width has to be able to understand and go, I know what that means. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I mean, and so what do
0: we do? Do we translate every one of our knowledge articles into, you know, into 20 languages? Probably not realistic, but But can we do other smart things like, you know, use lots of diagrams and pictures, you know, which again, you know, proverbially say a thousand words, right? Yes. Like that's like, right. So you need to have, you know, you need to have rich text capabilities in your knowledge articles just to be able to insert uh, diagrams and pictures and, you know, um, sort of a graphical means of conveying knowledge that sort of spans that, uh, you know, whether it's language barriers or learning barriers or or what have you, right? Because it's not just language, it's they all have different you know, you, different levels of sort of technical prowess, you know, and, uh, and and here's the funny thing is we have constituents, constituencies, I should say, that, that think they have a lot of technical prowess, and I'll, I'll cite college students here, they think they're really like, and they are fearless when it comes to IT, but they aren't necessarily competent in understanding basic things like file systems and how to move files from their local machine to the cloud, to their learning management system, to You'd be amazed how often students lose their documents somewhere on their, somewhere within their machine because they don't really understand the hierarchical file system that their their, their machine utilizes, or how to how to make sure that things are synchronized with the with the clouds. So and if their machine suddenly dies, all of their documents, photos videos, music are all synchronized and backed up so they get a replacement machine or a loaner machine while theirs is being fixed. They, they log in with their credentials and all of their documents are back, right? If they don't know about synchronization, all that kind of stuff. So we have constituencies that think they are really technically astute and really deep down they're not necessarily. So but then But then you've got, you know, computer science departments, right, at universities, and they really are technically a right? They're, they're the makers and creators in a lot of this stuff. So again, we have to deal with, and, and they still have complex problems that we need to solve for them. So you've got just that challenge of serving that that just that incredibly variable set of constituencies. And it's it's a challenge, it really
1: is. Oh yeah. And so to build on that, enterprise service management is a buzzword. And I think it's, and I'll take the heat on this and I won't project onto you, but it's being uh, portrayed and pushed by the uh, tool makers saying, hey, with this this workflow that works in IT, we're gonna push that same workflow to HR, which isn't really enterprise service management in my world. Yeah. But how do you, so for true enterprise service management, especially when you think of all those constituents, constituencies, you think, uh, how do we do this better? Because, you know, a college campus, is pretty soon going to be a technology company.
0: Yeah, and of course.
1: Yeah. You know, everything, I mean, like
0: everything is. I mean, at some yeah. point, I mean, that's, I mean, boy, that's such a loaded question, but a really interesting one. So, first of all, you know, we, we have to start recognizing that technology, IT, I should say, information technology, because by the way, I've always separated the two, like, you know, information technology is an interesting uh, uh, coupling of words, right? Like, right. And, and really, if you think about us as service providers, like our mission, especially in this day of information and, and data analytics, right, and all the things we do, data-driven decisions, and all those kinds of things. Well, so our, our role, I think, as an IT organization is to make information as visible as possible, right, as useful as possible, and make the technology the underpinnings as invisible and out of the way as possible, right? And That's a challenge sometimes, but that's that's our role, right? But um, where I was going to go was, you know, in response to your question, is that we have to recognize that technology, IT, whatever you want to call it, it's the underpinning of practically everything now. I mean, right. let's face it. Like you said, we're going to be a technology company someday. Well, so is every other company. Yes. A, a baking company is going to be a technology company at some point because everything they're doing is automated and whatever. So we have to recognize that so technology is sort of an underpinning of everything and, and what does that mean it means that IT as a, a thing that you call out at some point isn't going to be a thing you call out it's just going to be a pervasive part of life that just you know people just i don't know they don't even necessarily recognize like i said hopefully it's invisible but um I, I would answer that enterprise service management question by saying that first of all i i subscribe to that philosophy that i think a lot of the vendors are pushing that that you should be able to take ITSM and translate that to really all the service providers in the enterprise. And why is that really important? It's really important because, and never mind even IT, when people need something, a service, why should they have to know who the service provider is for that service? If I need to be provisioned for a, an ID card, you know, on, on my campus do I need to know that comes from IT or comes from the ID, the, the ID depart, you know, or, or the uh, identity department or, you know, whatever, the, the uh, Office of Student Affairs or like, do I need to know where that comes from? No Or should I know where that comes from? No, you should be able to get online with your institution and it should be obvious where sort of your service catalog is and all the things you can ask for and whether or not they're their HR things or facilities things, when I, when I come, to, you know, if I, if I come as a new employee to a university, so I need to be onboarded, shouldn't there be a universal onboarding service request yeah. that takes oh. into account, the st- okay, furniture has to be ordered from my office, that's probably a facilities thing, okay, obviously I need IT stuff, I need provision for an account, Well, oh, that's probably, you know, obviously an IT thing, I, I probably need a bunch of benefits and stuff established, right? That's all HR thing. Like, but well, why should I have to go to, you know, five different places or 10 different places? I should be able to go to a single portal, a single place, um, contact a single office and say, I'm you know, I'm a new employee or, you know, someone on my behalf say, hey, we've got a new employee starting in two weeks. We need a computer, a desk, an office, you know, and that should be like a universal service request that is smart enough to kind of subtask things to the individual responsible functional units. But, that stuff should be behind the scenes and transparent to, to me, the the again the customer. So I I wholly subscribe in all honesty. And in fact, you know, it, it just just cite an example of my institution at Duquesne. Um, as we migrate from one ITSM platform to another, our goal is to definitely aspire to get to full enterprise service management in the way I've sort of described it, like in a in a very transparent and sort of, you know, uh, you know, leveraging the sort of that universality that I've, you know, there should be a universal service catalog. Why do I wanna go look through eight different catalogs to figure out what I, when I go to a restaurant, I don't have a, well, maybe you do, maybe some restaurants do have, a, you know, an appetizer cat, uh, a menu and then they have a, but I think most of it's on one menu, right? in right. your hands you one menu not six okay sometimes it's a separate drink menu because there's kids involved but never mind that <laughs> the bottom line is usually you get sort of one place where you order whether it's a dessert or whether it's an appetizer whether it's a you know an entree or whatever it's one place to sort of look yeah it's organized functionally that just helps me navigate to the right place right um, yeah. but it's still one thing I think a universal service catalog um, in any business but particularly in, 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 a, in a complex environment like a university is a thing to aspire to because it it just it makes life easy and, and we should be able to leverage technology to be able to provide that and again sort of hide that complexity from the consumer and make you know make their their lives easier in terms of, of making a request or again reporting an incident you know if I've got an you know if I've got if I've got a leak in my data center <laughs> of course, that's a bad example because I'm already IT if I'm looking at the data center, but whatever. If you if I've got a leak over my computer, do I call IT or do I call physical plant about a plumbing like who, who do I call for like it'd be better to call one service center, you know, instead of an IT help desk and a facilities work control help desk and a HR service desk, I'd rather call one service desk and have them figure out based on the the service about which I'm calling, how to route my call, you know, or how to route my chat or my email or whatever. So I think that's now, again, very like you know, that's baby steps, right? So that's not certainly where you should start. Um, But like, like in Duquesne, obviously, we have 57 separate workspaces. So in addition to IT, having a workspace on our, on our ITSM platform, I'm not going to name any product names or anything, but on our ITSM platform, we have a a workspace and instance, and then HR has an instance, admissions has an instance, facility, like there's 57 different instances just in our, on our ITSM platform. And I think, and I think we're actually very, very mature compared to, you know, compared to a lot of our peers, but we're still nowhere close to that, that being sort of a universal, like a, a, cohesively woven together, you know, integrated kind of experience for the customer. They still have to know, I have to go to the facilities instance to put in a facilities ticket or ID, yeah. the ID instance. So our, our hope in, in our, as we migrate to a new platform is that our new platform will ultimately, not on day one, but will ultimately support our migration to sort of that, that paradigm of universality and, and, uh, and making things straightforward for our customers
1: i was even thinking from a student's <laughs> point of view i enroll in a semester's worth of class they should send me a link to the canvas or whatever yeah, similar board
0: canvas whatever yeah
1: whatever and it should also give me a link to where to go buy books physical or or you know ebooks should be all in the same i want to say onboarding package you know it's just like hr onboarding
0: same communication though, Where where yeah. to go to buy my computer and what kind of computer i need and all, all that stuff right yeah, like,
1: yeah where the drivers are you know, yeah. what I mean, like it should be seamless. Even though there are several groups that input to that, you right? Know? Of course, yeah. And so it should be seamless. And so we talk a lot about technologies and innovation. I mean, because what it looks like today isn't what it's going to look like tomorrow. And yeah. what are some of the emerging technologies and automation, and how do you see that being used and to impact and improve? I always think impacts improvement in terms of automation and technologies for service management. I i mean, I think sky's the limit, but I'd love no, to down, hear your yeah. take on it. Yeah, I mean,
0: again, technologies are evolving so quickly that it's, I think, uh, you know, it's, it's hard for some of these companies to even keep up with some of these platform makers who, you know, are, again, are these big global companies. And it's interesting, right? Because they, um, you know, even the, even the, the, Underpinning processes, uh, you know, on which a lot of this stuff is based, like like ITIL, right? The IT infrastructure mm-hmm. library that a lot of ITSM is based on, right? Like it's a, a, a particular framework, right, for defining these various processes: incident management and change management, and you know, request fulfillment, and all those things. Even that is changing. So it's not that the technology alone is changing, but there might, you know, as you know, because you're an expert at this stuff, there even that stuff is evolving to, you know, from, from ITIL version three to ITIL version four, which is like a whole different sort of way of viewing, you know, the way we provide services and the way we govern IT and the way we automate, like there are references to things like automation and IT governance and, and, the service value chain in ITIL version four that don't exist in version three, right? It's a completely sort of broader, holistic way of thinking about IT. And that's just process, that's not even the technology, but, but back to your question. I mean, I, I certainly one of those things, right, is our ability to leverage more, you know, and I know these are used as buzzwords all the time, but they probably, they should be valued for more than just buzzwords, but, but you know, the combination of, of artificial intelligence and machine learning are clearly have huge impact in pretty much everything you know, you know, humans interact with, but most certainly, you know, things as simple and concrete as as your service desk contact center, where again, if I can be served faster by reaching a, 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 a an intelligent chatbot, I'm not talking about a chatbot that has one simple like you know algorithm that loops around till it finds a particular KB, but an actual like something that can actually parse the English language, you know, or another language and actually help people get to the information they need, whether it's a, a specific subject matter expert that's an actual human being, or whether it's a specific knowledge base article or a specific form that they you know, can use self-service to fill out or whatever. So I think you know, the, 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 these ideas of, of, of technologies that can, that, and not that these haven't been around forever, but now they're really sort of polished and they're accessible to developers. I mean, look. When I was at the University of Maryland, which was, you know, a good—I don't know—20 years ago, I remember um, I was responsible for the help desk contact center there, and I remember observing that we had these weird cycles. Like, like at the end of every month, a lot of people called about their about their phone bills. Right back in the day when people had phone bills, right, right? they would call the service desk about their phone bills because that was part of the IT organization. But at the beginning of every semester, we got tons and tons of calls about about you know getting into the learning management system or about their 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 bills with the bursars or all the, like there are all these different kinds of cycles that we notice. And, and it occurred to me that, and of course this is back in the day, this is pre-web by the way, it occurred to me that holy cow, like just the simple fact that you're calling a contact center and you're hearing this long menu that says, okay, if you're calling about you know, billing, press one. If you're calling about you know uh, technical support press two. If you're calling about this press three. And sometimes you have to sit there until they got to nine, right? And especially what was weird about that is certain times of the of the month or whatever, it should have been predictable that no, most of these calls this time of the month are going to be about phone bills or whatever. So it occurred to me like, well, I mean, we can have that contact center software, the sort of that underlying software, track recent behaviors in the calls, the recent patterns, and put the right choice sooner in the audio prompt. So that users aren't waiting longer than necessary. And so we tried that. I programmed this in, right? And um, and then it was confusing because you'd call the, the help desk and you'd hear, okay, if you're calling about billing, press nine. If you're going about this, press six. If you're going about this, press three. It's like, wait a minute, what was that billing money? <laughs> like, that was weird. So I was like, okay, we got to figure this out. It's like, okay, we'll use the we'll use the silly letters on the touchdown phone. So then I morphed it to say, if you're calling about billing problems, press the letter B on your touchdown phone. If you're calling about um, you know, uh, whatever. And I had to be careful. You couldn't say, if you're calling about admissions, press A because guess what? A and B are still the two button on your phone. So I had to be creative, right? And use synonyms and stuff. But at the end of the day, I created this sort of, you know, I would call it early AI based, you know, look back into the recent past to kind of assess what's the likelihood of what someone's going to ask for and always reorganize the menu based on that sort of recent past. And that is like a form of AI that took a lot of like that was mechanical programming for me that was like really arduous and really crazy now you can do that kind of stuff on the fly cuz we've got the tools that leverage that kind of thinking that kind of you know built in data the data analytics driven interfaces for users and so i think in that sense that's that's what we have the opportunity for is to do things like that i think the other the other big opportunity is just you know obviously as processes become more powerful and graphics become more more amazing and more clear, we can develop really nice user interfaces that don't still look like, you know, your grandfather's 3270 terminal emulator, actually produce really nice, friendly to the eye, uh, you know, hopefully visually intuitive interfaces for customers, we can create more self-service, you know, that again, um, you know, minimizes our burden, you know, as a a finite team of, of human beings, right, we can try to use self-service and things and self-service can be completely aggravating to customers if they you know if they again if they think well you're just asking me to do your work i'd rather you just ask me the questions and me tell you but if you can make it super intuitive and super easy they will start to understand you know what's actually faster for me to just go here and fill out this form than wait 20 minutes on the phone or whatever to reach a human to then just be my transcriber and they might not type everything the way i would want it anyway so it's part of that is helping customers understand the value of that. But I think, for me, those are sort of the most obvious in-your-face opportunities for us in terms of you know sort of uh, you know leading-edge technologies is to leverage more AI and to leverage more of just the power of the graphical user interfaces that we are able to create based on the you know the amazing uh, you know tools that we have to create those those user interfaces, but also just the you know just the amazing displays and everything else that we now have at our avail.
1: So. Oh, yeah. So let me build on a couple of those. So, you know, the AI would also tell billing, hey, at this time of the month, you need a staff higher than you at this time of the month, right? Yeah. It should staffing, be automated. Staffing, even,
0: communication, all that stuff, right? could all yeah. be like driven by the data, right? Um, yeah, it should be yeah. obvious. It's so funny. And, and and yet so few of us actually like measure any of those things. or Like we've had to wait for our systems to evolve to do it for us, right? Yes. Like, But like, it's not that hard to gather those kinds of metrics, you know, but um, I'm with you.
1: How about like, you know, those with major college football programs, their user base changes on Saturdays during football season, right? right? It shouldn't be uh, that difficult to figure that out. But I was also thinking of the, you mentioned the the UI, I was thinking of the notifications that come out of ITSM tools look like a third grader wrote it and, you know, (laughs) most people don't understand it, that it doesn't have a good experience, even though it's trying to, it just can't, you know, it's in, yeah. it's in some, it's just, hey, you're limited uh, to 40 characters or whatever. And so it yeah. looks like yeah. some teenager doing a uh, shorthand. I think this is back to the, you know, I think I've referenced the word balance at least a couple of
0: times and I'll reference it yet again. Like this is back to that sort of, you know, I mean, I think balance is important in just about everything we do as human beings. I mean, honestly, just balance is just key, like because everything has a has a, a sweet spot and it's rarely at either end of a continuum, right? So right. And, and in delivering you know, you know, services and in in automating and everything else, right? Um, we've have to figure out so you probably need a human communications manager. <laughs> to make sure they're managing the communications or at least the communication templates, right? That go into these systems so that they don't sound like they're from a third grader, unless you hire a third grade comms manager, which will p- you probably get on the cheap. But the point is definitely wanna kind of balance where you need human intervention, where we can leverage, you know, human smarts and, and, you know, those kinds of things from, you know where we can rely on pragmatically stupid mechanics and machines to do things for us. And it's just a matter of knowing which, which thing, you, you know, we still need people. We still need relationships, like I said. Um, but it's finding that perfect balance. And by the way, that balance is always changing, right? Based on the yes. technology, the evolution, everything else that's happening. But like that's, the,
1: that's the yeah. magic, though. It even changes right with the people you have in staff on who who's yeah. available to you. Who's available? And, and what,
0: you know, I mean, you know, a long time ago, right, contact centers got, got into what they called skills-based routing, right? Mm-hmm. And so they Kind of figured out. Oh, it's probably better to kind of do an inventory of who the experts are, who the SMEs are, and what areas, and be able to route calls appropriately. Of course, you gotta have you know you have to have a fairly large staff in order to even have that scale. But the point is, is that that changes over time too because you 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 train staff and they learn new things and and also you kind of have to again find the balance between doing that but also giving those staffers the opportunity to learn other things so that they so if you start to okay you're only going to take Microsoft Office 365 questions okay that's fine and you might become a, a semi deep guru in that but now you're not learning any of the other things what happens if someday we evolve past 365 which you know at some point's going to have right this may be the the next right. big office automation suite or whatever and so you know it's a weird kind of thing, but you want to, you want to do part of both. You want to do have sort of your concentrated sort of, you know, skills areas, functional skills areas, you know, so you can do skills-based routing, but you also still want to kind of cross-pollinate and maybe rotate people around once in a while, have them shadow these other groups. And so that you're, you know, you're creating bench depth. And and again, that's all the human side of all this, which by the way, I really love about, I don't know how much, I know you're a pro, man. I know you've been studying, you know, ITIL 3 versus ITIL 4 and sort of what the, what the differences are and stuff. But one of the things I really admire about about ITO version four is that they they did something as simple. And I know a lot of people think it's just like dumb semantics or whatever. They did something as simple as they changed what they were calling processes and they changed them to practices, right? And that might seem on the surface, like, well, who, who the heck cares? Like, what's the difference? You know, they're synonyms, right? But no, they're really not because processes are are just by definition, just a cold set of of Instructions, right? Practices imply there's a people component. Yeah. And I think I love that because at the end of the day, the people are still at the core of providing services. I don't care how sophisticated AI gets and 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 you know all of these things become in terms of providing self-service and automation. At the core, and it, certainly at the most complex things, you still need people. And I love the fact that Itil four kind of simultaneously cites automation for the first time, because automation is not mentioned at all in version three, at least that I know of, but in ITIL version four, automation is called out as a thing you must do, you know, you must be able to leverage automation to better serve your customers, but it also at the same time calls out things like practices and says, hey, you know, you've got to be able to, to actually recognize that at that the heart of all of this is people. know doing things for other people. and I also love that ITO4 brings out sort of holistically that whole IT governance and because another part of like providing services is knowing how to prioritize like you know because again as as things become more and more diverse and then there's more and more options and more and more overlap in terms of the functionality of any given solution right look at I don't know something as simple as like synchronized chatting most of our institutions have 10 different ways to do that, whether it's on their VoIP system, whether it's on their, you know, in Microsoft Teams, or whether it's, you know, over, you know, any, any number of other platforms, they've got eight different ways or 10 different ways to chat with each other. So, you know, that's confusing, right? Because they have to know well, which one is fit for which purpose. And so you've got to kind of manage all of that. But I think IT governance, as mentioned in, in, in you know, mm-hmm. until version 4, helps us step back and look at everything from functional overlap to just, you know, service relevance in terms of its subscription base and what things are starting to trend down, what's trending, and maybe you can make some shared, you know, decisions in terms of priorities so that you can actually manage, you know, I'd rather have fewer services that are all managed well than have a boatload of services that are all managed less than well, you know? And I think IT governance as ITIL 4 sort of prescribes is that path, you know, to be able to do that. So, so I, yeah. I love that aspect of
1: my how job. can we do things better? And so yeah. I'm, I'm switching gears a little bit on the governance, but I'm building on it. So yeah. lately I've been on a soapbox and I get on soapboxes, but <laughs> lately it's about measuring because I don't think we as an industry do things well. In fact, I mentioned on a recent podcast, you ask any, any person in IT, they think they're an expert on reporting everybody thinks they're an expert on reporting, right? Yeah, Yet, most organizations report and measure very poorly. And yeah. so the question yeah. to you is, how can we improve what we measure, how we measure, or even act on those measurements? Yeah, great, great, great. Another great question. I mean,
0: uh, you know, I referenced a little earlier, like the fact that sometimes we're just too dumb as humans to be ahead of the technology evolution and ultimately tools come up evolve and come around to do those things for us. And I think we're kind of there with metrics, right? Like now you've got things like Power BI, right? (laughs) And other tools that let us quickly grab data from various sources and and make visualizations and real-time dashboards. And So in a way, the technology is kind of caught up with what we should have been doing manually anyway, but we're either too inept to do or too lazy to do, or, or just honestly didn't have the time to do, because it's one of those things where, you know, if you're always fighting fires and you know, when do you design the next big fire engine you know maybe never if you're always got a hose in your hand so I think there's there's that but um, I mean I don't know I wrote I wrote a piece I think like 10 years ago somewhere there around called uh, metrics 101 um, I think it's like an edge publication and I did talk a lot about metrics and measurements and what they are and and how to leverage them and how not to leverage them or how not to not how what not to do with them and or what not to do in general and I, I don't know I've always found that the problem with metrics is so many people start with what data can I gather like they start with sort of that quote low hanging fruit and say well what data did we already sort of what data are systems creating and then they end up just creating these gobs and gobs of data which by the way they have to pay to store somewhere whether they're buying storage systems or storing them in the or whatever um, you know look at look at the average user of splunk and how much stuff is in splunk and how much of it's actually ever referenced right like you've got this wealth of data but do you ever use it and I've always tried to preach, don't start with what data you can gather, start with what things you're trying to improve, which means what measures will help you get visibility into how to improve them or, or whether you're improving them and, and start there and gather data that will support those, those improvement measures that ultimately support those goals in terms of your performance. Like, I think if you start that way, you know, from sort of a top-down approach as opposed to a bottom-up approach with like, what data do we have, Um, And by the way, there's contrarians that will tell you, no, 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 we'll eventually figure out how to use the data, gather every piece of data you can, right? And and of course, storage is so cheap these days that I'm not necessarily saying that's an invalid approach, but realistically, um, if we want to improve the way we deliver services in the context of service management and stuff, I think the starting point is, well, what exactly are we trying to do? And then, then you've got all these like very easy pitfalls to to fall into. uh, And that is you, you, you have to make sure you're designing your measurements to not incentivize the wrong behavior. So if you've got a measurement like fastest, you know, shortest time to, to, uh, to response or, or shortest time to resolution, right, for your contact center agents, right? Well, they might be providing the absolute crappiest answer possible in the interest of speed, right? So, so very quickly, if they can mark that ticket as done, Don't blame them because you just incentivize them to do that by creating a metric that says shortest time to resolution, right? So shortest time to resolution, at least on its own, is a horrible, horrible metric, right? But if you combine that with sort of a combination of sort of customer satisfaction, which you basically glean from a survey for the customer and maybe some other metrics, now it starts to make sense. But So we've got to be really careful about what we want to measure. And are we incentivizing sort of the right behavior among our among our employees? Like we want to make sure we're incentivizing them to actually serve customers, not get off the phone the fastest, or mark something that's done the fastest, or you know, whatever. You not not hold if you're if you have to hold an important order because you need to do more research on it before you, you know, before you fulfill it, then you should do that. You shouldn't close it prematurely in the interest of, of just speed is the only measurement
1: or whatever. First call resolution is the one yeah, that always gets it. me because you're incentivizing me to mark every one of them resolved, even if the customer has to call back again. Right, and,
0: and create a whole new ticket and all, all yeah. that horrible, that's definitely not optimized, even though that was probably originally intent with the metric, right, it was to try to optimize by, but you have to figure out, yeah, how to, how to incentivize people to do the right thing. I, I've always believed, I mean, there are, to me, and, and I think I cite all of this in, in this article I, I wrote, like I said, a decade or so ago, but there are sort of four categories of metrics, right? and they're sort of broken up into two groups, but there's, you know, there's, there's, there's performance metrics, you know, which are just like, you know, like, you know, uptime and all that kind of stuff. Right. And then there's like capacity metrics, like, mm-hmm. you know, for like capacity planning, right. Like, you know, how fast storage is getting filled and we got to plan to buy more storage or whatever. Right. So that those are sort of your technical, but, but then there's sort of service satisfaction, like just how happy are people with the service and there's sort of service, you know, relevance, which they kind of go hand in hand, but, you know, the latter is sort of based on, like like I said, like subscription rate and things like that. You can start to tell if people are starting to find alternatives, this service is becoming less and less relevant. And certainly the service satisfaction is just a huge one, right? Like if people aren't satisfied with the service itself, you got to probe deeper. You got to create focus groups. You got to talk to the customer. What is it about? Is it you're not happy with the service itself? You're not happy with the way we're delivering it? You're not happy with how available it is? You know, like you got to get to the bottom of those things. But I've always believed in those four sort of metrics categories capacity performance you know satisfaction and relevance and then there's a fifth one of course which is cost but that's sort of for the accountants to deal with but that's a metric too right like how much is it cost us to deliver this you know like what are you know are, are we are we bringing in enough revenue to cover the expense of, of providing the service or what or is there enough value to the business to warrant spending the spend on this service so there's the cost metric but I think that one's an obvious one
1: yeah, metrics, man. There, <laughs> I love it. But I'm right there with you. Like I view the way I would describe it is a slightly different, but we're totally aligned. I view it as an outside in, like find out yeah. what you need because the whole thing with metrics and reporting is for decision making, and that's so it. Yeah. We need to go to the decision makers and say, "What is it you need?" Right, and then work backwards versus what's been readily available in the tool and working that way because. I tell this story on a podcast, and I, I don't use names. Big company, guys in charge of, of reporting analytics. All the execs say this stinks. It's in the weeds. It's not answering the right question. And this this person, who was a director title, big organization, never understood why. And so, you know, I just I just shake my head because it's sad. Because you know, millions of dollars are being used to, used yeah. and wasted and yeah that's not artificial intelligence by the way that's artificial stupidity by the way (laughs) it's (laughs) manual stupidity (laughs) Manual stupidity yeah (laughs) but i just i just think you know we get we have this stuff to make good decisions i think that if not there's no reason to have it you know what's funny it's pretty
0: yeah yeah you you know what's really funny to me is the word you just used to describe and you said well no we're going to go to the decision makers and then you said something very funny to me you said and then we're going to work our way and you said backwards Yes. And the funny thing to me is actually that's working your way forward. <laughs> like, I know I'm never I... is, is it's so foreign, right? Because yes. that's not how we typically start that it feels like backwards, but it's just it's a funny observation to me because no, that's actually how you start. That's that's working forward. What's the decisions you're trying to make? What do you need to make that decision? Then what can we gather to support? you know, like that's, that's forwards, but it's just kind of funny that the instinct, oh, yeah. I get it, man. It's the instinct to say, well, I got to work my way backwards, but yeah. especially
1: with IT folk. And I don't want to jab because yeah. we're, it's us, right? Yeah, it's us. Us.
0: yeah, right. And we found the enemy and
1: it is us. <laughs> but all I'm saying is we have to find it. That's why I call it outside in because yeah, what you're describing yeah. is really inside out, right? Find out who yeah, the I decision guess. makers, it go out. But I just meant outside in, in terms of figuring what you need, how do we deliver it and move in that direction versus yeah. what's easy to find in an ITSM tool and reporting on that? And I get it.
0: No, I get it. It, it is a, an exercise sort of in reverse engineering. So in that sense, it sort of is backwards. Like
1: I do. It, it's it, just backwards. It's kind of funny Yeah, it is because we always think wherever we are is inside, and yeah. wherever the them on the outside, the decision makers, because. I've seen this a lot. The people who do the analytics are very sincere. They care about the numbers. They care about the reporting, but it's hard for them to get up and see the world from a high enough level to be able to report to execs. Like They're great saying, hey, we only have so many SEV2 incidents that are stuck in the that's not what the execs want they just want to go how much lost uh, hours of productivity did we have and yeah you know yeah. i mean those are different conversations and yeah. so it is just one of those no, it's it's a funny it's a funny i mean and i don't know if it's a
0: haha funny or a weird funny but it's a funny it's just a funny challenge right because i mean just even understanding the kinds of information you need to make certain decisions can be very complicated, right? Based on the complexity of just the data that we have in our avail. So it's just, and like I said, it's so easy to fall into the trap of, 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 Unintentionally incentivizing the wrong behavior. Nobody means to incentivize people to hang up on customers, right? But it's an unintentional. And, you know, honestly, you can't, you can't really blame the agents because no. that's what they've been told. Like, you know, so you can't, you've incentivized them to do this. So don't be, don't be, you know, giving them a poor performance evaluation because they're performing exactly as you've prescribed, right? Short time to resolution, period. Like you didn't prescribe any other satisfaction metrics or anything, you know, anything else. So it's just funny how we, uh, yeah, how, how we, how hard it is to get to the right place. And, and a lot of it's just that you have to evolve into it slowly and, and learn those lessons, a lot of them the hard way. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I don't know how, you, you know, I mean, the age old adage, right, that you can't, you can't fix what you can't measure, however it goes. Like that, that's an absolute truth, I, just a universal truth. Um, and yet, we, it's so hard to measure things because we all have different, you know, rulers or, you know, you talk about the you know the English system or the metric system. I mean, just every, you know we have so many different ways of measuring, you know, what we call performance, productivity, and whatever. And so you've really got to step back. And I think this is where the whole like you know, sort of uh, you know centers of excellence and and uh, what do they call you know eyes of the customer, whatever. Like you've got to be able to empathize and put yourself in the. You got to start by putting yourself in the customer's shoes, and that's hard for a lot of IT people, including this IT person, because we're so entrenched in IT, it's hard for us to step back and, and put ourselves in a place where we don't fully understand all, all, all the interconnections of IT. But somehow you have to do that. You have to put yourself in, you know, in, in a customer's shoes and say, if I'm a customer who whose vocation isn't IT, like, what do I think, you know, how do I think they would want to go about requesting service, reporting incidents, you know? Getting their problem solved, all that like you have to be able to step back and uh, and and that's not easy for a lot of IT people, um, for most IT people,
1: it's tough. So, yeah. Mark, it's been great having you on the podcast. Are there any parting words you would like to uh, offer us as uh, before we let you go? No, I, first of all, I
0: really appreciate you having me again. Thank you so much. I, you know, you and I um, go back a ways. I love I love chatting with you um, informally and formally. So, thanks for thanks for having me on this awesome show. I really appreciate it. Um, and uh, yeah, no, I mean, I would just say my party words are probably what I just said, which is, you know, constantly put yourself in, in sort of in the customer's shoes and try to, um, you know, try to approach things, you know, speaking of outside in from the customer's perspective. And I think you'll find that, you know, um, that, that you you design better, better solutions for customers. Again, whether we're talking about IT services themselves or whether we're talking about the you know, the processes by which we, we deliver and support and sustain those services. I think looking at always from the customer's perspective, you know, customer experience again is sort of a a, a modern day buzzword, but it really is like at the end of the day, it's all about what the customer experience is. And, and you know, we've all been there on the on the yeah. frustrating side of, of, uh, of being a customer and, and feeling not cared for, not served, you know, whatever, not important. And so we have to constantly reflect on those feelings and make sure we're never doing that, like that we're always um you know and, and part of that is still providing a human touch which is again very much a balance so those are my parting words thanks again for having me i appreciate it oh
1: it's awesome and we'll have you back in the future i hope you and the audience uh, have a great great day bye. yeah thank you same to you jeffrey take care um, bye. bye